Hello and welcome to Crack Encrypteds and Curios. This is Matt, once again joined by Angel. This episode we are deviating from our usual path, Angel. We are hitting that old dusty trail and diverging to spotlight something that has been a relatively large part of the show. Movies! I'm going to throw this question out at you, Angel, point blank, and I want you to give me your first thought. Don't let this linger or think too deep. Don't stew on it. Just your first reflex answer. What is your favorite movie of all time? Bushwhacking. Sorry, that that's not a movie. That You just said the first answer that came to mind, and that's, that's what came to mind. Well, there's that uh, Daniel Stern Bush uh bushwhacking or bushwhack bushwhacked sure (laughs) (laughs) it's that one it seems vaguely familiar now that you've mentioned that i think he's with a bunch he's like uh like a boy scout troop leader or something (laughs) and uh, i faintly recall it they get into some shenanigans i think somebody's chasing them trying to kill them but uh, regardless, wrong answer. The correct answer that we're looking for is the movie that we are discussing today, the 2022 reimagining of Hellraiser, which just came out. I have no idea how you didn't see that transition coming, Angel. It was a softball for you, and you just whiffed it. Well, it's a total surprise to me. You woke me up at 3 in the morning saying, we're recording now, and I'm like, all right. <laughs> Started screaming at you. <laughs> Hellraiser! <laughs> now! Uh, so this is something that we have wanted to do for a while. To dig deep into a movie. And it felt like the right time to do it. So this episode is just going to be dropped right in between some of our already recorded episodes. We are about 24 hours removed from watching the Hellraiser reboot at the time of recording this. And have had a chance to digest it to reflect upon it unfortunately certain parts of this movie got each of us pretty heated so we've had a chance to cool off and and think a bit deeper so to be clear there are going to be heavy spoilers for hellraiser in this episode the entire movie is going to be spoiled so if you haven't seen it yet i'd suggest do not listen to this episode until you have done so or you don't care about spoilers so angel One of the classic lines of the original film is that the Cenobites, those leather-clad torturers that they are, they describe themselves as angels to some and demons to others. In an effort to get in the mind frame for this movie event, to get closer to that ethereal plane of existence that the Cenobites come from, we each made a meal called Heaven and Earth, a recipe I found in a book from the 1980s Can you quickly tell our audience what is involved in this dish called Heaven and Earth? So Heaven and Earth is... Imagine you're dreaming. And you're dreaming that you are in heaven. Or some otherworldly plane. And these godlike creatures start speaking to you. And you... You are entranced and and just feeling entire bliss. And what they're speaking to you is the ultimate recipe. The best tasting whatever you can possibly dream up. And they're giving you precise instructions 
on what to do to make this a reality. And then you wake up and you're frantically trying to write this recipe down so that you don't forget it. You know, moments after waking up because your dream starts dissipating. And you realize you have forgotten so much that all you get is potatoes and apples. <laughs> That's all you get. The way you worded it, it sounded like one of those online recipes where you have to hold, hear a whole goddamn story before you get to the recipe. <laughs> That's right. It's just potatoes and apples baked together with some butter, salt, pepper, and ground cloves. Yep. And At then half a it's teaspoon. To- and topped off with some bacon. Well, to be clear, it's one pound of potatoes, one pound of apples. Uh, choose your own poison. It doesn't say what potatoes or apples to use. Nope. And believe me, the kind of apple you choose can make or break this dish, as I learned. <laughs> mm-hmm. I myself chose Honeycrisp apples and um, golden potatoes. I chose... I think you just found some trash on the side <laughs> of the road and put it in a dish. I had, I had one russet potato that was starting to sprout and some smaller um, potatoes. I forget what kind. I threw them in as well. <laughs> Miscellaneous <laughs> potatoes that you had on hand. I had one Honeycrisp apple and some other softer <laughs> apple that totally disintegrated during the boiling process. So I don't know if that added to the dish or not. Pretty oh. sure. I'm pretty sure it was a. Uh, I kept hearing the voices of the Cenobites telling me, "Continue. <laughs> you are not done yet." <laughs> it told you, uh, "Call me Daddy," <laughs> like Frank. <laughs> so, uh, how how did this meal taste to you? What were your first thoughts as this concoction met your mouth? Imagine you're. <laughs> It tasted like exactly as you could imagine. It tasted like apples and potatoes mixed together. I, it wasn't a blending of flavors. There wasn't any magical, um, secret flavor that sprung out. It was just like, oh, that's an apple and that's a potato, and all the butters just pooled at the bottom, so it didn't even like marinate. <laughs> apples or potato uh, yeah and i was just like i have to eat this now why it's called heaven on earth is beyond me the, i do not get the the naming of this dish but you, you know in, in horror movies there is often this trope of finding some eldritch knowledge hidden away in some library or long forgotten book this recipe was unintentionally apropos for this movie i started off more of a look at this hideous recipe and laughing at it but then then we tried it and and my lord it was like opening the gates to some other world after eating this i can only explain uh that it's it was like an experience i have never had quite before there was there was no pleasure obtained from this food there was no enjoyment <laughs> to be had it, it just existed and I ate it, and then I immediately texted uh, to you, Angel, that I felt like I had eaten nothing, yet I had eaten over a pound of food. Never in my life have I experienced that that feeling. There was absolutely no substance to this. Do you agree? Yes. Not only that, but I, I oddly felt like 
I could just never eat again after that. Like, like you would be like, okay, Taylor, if I just never ate again, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, I remember, I've learned, I remember reading a while ago that apparently uh, breast milk contains something in, some chemical in it that makes babies addicted to eating, which is how we get, learn what? the, how we learn the ability to eat or something, whether... I don't know how true that really is or not. What about animals that aren't mammals? I don't don't ask <laughs> me. But I feel like this heaven on earth is the way to fix all that addiction problems. <laughs> Feed it to babies. They never eat again. <laughs> so this this brings me to Hellraiser Angel, a movie franchise where you watch it and you feel like, okay, that just happened. There's a story, you experience it, and then you look back and there is no substance at all to it. The heaven and earth recipe is the Hellraiser series in food form. <laughs> now, the reboot, which we will dig into now, was an attempt to get away from all the convoluted nonsense that the franchise has been absolutely drowning in for nearly 30 years. Some of the sequels are nearly unwatchable. They are just that poorly done. The original, however, has a nice spot in both our hearts, Angel, I believe, it is a nostalgic trip of campiness and gore. Some of the lines are absolutely wonderful. I say the the look at me all all the time. <laughs> and but some of the movie it's it's like what the hell is even happening and not in a good way. Do you agree of that of the original? Yeah, I always felt like there were some strange edits. I remember mm -hmm. watching it not too long ago, and and one when, when Julia just starts luring men in to kill them, I'm like, when did this happen? Like, I don't understand why she's mm -hmm. doing this. Like, can this Frank guy really be that uh, amazing that oh, she's man, willing Frank's to kill amazing. for him? Just wow, <laughs> he he shows up on what before the, she marries Larry, and she's just smitten. He just, oh, he just she just falls in love instantly. And then, so why does she even marry the guy? Like, I don't understand. Because <laughs> that's Larry. <laughs> Brother Larry. Uh, so Frank shows up, and he's like, it's it's me, Brother Frank. I'm like, what? <laughs> who introduces himself like that? <laughs> to establish that he's the brother, obviously. And she's, she just looks at him confused. Like, <laughs> he's like, can I come in? <laughs> Goddamn Frank. So... <laughs> It is now time for us to enter the breakdown zone, Angel. So, once again, don your village people construction man cosplay outfit because we are going to deconstruct this entire movie. As we go through what happened in this movie, we will discuss what our highs and lows were and then go into how it compares to the original. Right off the bat... The story kicks off in Serbia as the puzzle box has changed hands from one owner to another and then the movie just quickly changes course to some sort of highfalutin rich person party in Massachusetts. Roland Voigt is throwing a party in a seemingly 75% finished clone of Robert Pattinson walks into a room and finds the puzzle box upon a pedestal and seemingly he can't help himself. So put yourself in his shoes, Angel. His 75% Robert Pattinson shoes. You walk into this museum-like exhibit with a puzzle box in the middle. What do you do? Well, I definitely want to admire the exhibits along the way. You just start grabbing? <laughs> no. I was taught 
to look but not touch. I would definitely not start trying to solve a puzzle out of nowhere. Like, who does that? This could be some artifact. Like, there is some dialogue between him and uh, and a woman. But, like, right off the bat, it wasn't really clear what exactly was happening. And yeah, he it, gets invited into this room. Yeah, it's, it almost seems like she was, like, picking him up for other yeah. reasons. Mm-hmm. Other uh, seedier reasons. Mm-hmm. And then he goes in and he's like, oh, wow, puzzle box. <laughs> Puzzles. <laughs> The man solves the puzzle nearly immediately and is rewarded with a dagger-like blade that ejects from the box into his hand. And then, just like that, the movie dives into the summoning of the Cenobites, the other worldly architects of torture and pleasure. The character gets strung up by chains in that classic Hellraiser fashion, and Voight just waltzes in, seemingly proud of his plan to sacrifice another so he may access the secrets of the puzzle box himself. Now, uh, this sets up probably the biggest divergence from the original Angel. Voight did not solve the box. He he did nothing. He coerces others to solve it or has others coerce them for him. And then that person receives the punishment for doing so. He struts in, picks up the pieces, and receives the real prize. How do you feel about that change? On the one hand, I'm thinking... You know, maybe this the it makes sense that the Cenobites would maybe encourage this behavior. It allows them to torture more people. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, but why wouldn't they just want the person to solve? I don't know. It's, yeah, like like why would they care ultimately? Yeah. Like the Cenobites are seemingly these higher beings of like existence. They've they've evolved so far and they're experiences that why would they care either way (laughs) like they don't really have feelings in that manner so i don't know i I get both sides of it i guess it ultimately comes down to the execution of that and we'll see how they executed it (laughs) as we go (laughs) so voight goes on to call himself a penitent of leviathan and wishes for an audience in this prologue portion of the film they're already setting up some nice world building it seems They are name-dropping Leviathan, and the context clues of the scene portray Leviathan as a higher power. Voight has even devised this elaborate geometrical structure around his house that he uses like these switches, and it it frames the sky as, as he demands an audience. It looks very striking. So it already sets much more lore just in the opening scenes of the movie than the entire original movie did. Um, without knowing of the novella and things like that, if you just watched it, watching a movie. It sets a great stage for the rest of the film, I think. What what did you think of that overall opening scene? I kind of didn't care for the whole Serbian thing, first of all. Like, why mm-hmm. did they show me that? I don't... Never... I suppose, like, it's very... Uh, callback, I think, to the original, where the original starts in, yeah. like, India, and it, uh, Frank's buying the box, and then it goes, like... I don't think it's needed. Like you can just start the movie yeah. without that scene. Yeah. I, I feel like the, this opening also kind of plays up more of the biblical stuff mm-hmm. where, for example, you know, in the original, how the priest kind of mentioned something like being uh, seen, sometimes seen as angels or, or devils or demons. Mm-hmm. And so here we hear about the Leviathan and that's also a biblical thing. Mm-hmm. And, a short little sentence from the wiki 
on Leviathan says that the Leviathan is often an embodiment of chaos and threatening to eat the damned after their life. So, could it mean it, something? Sure embodies chaos in this. <laughs> um, I don't know why, but I got some real Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein vibes from Serena and Voigt in this in this opening party. Did uh, did you get any sense of that? I had I when I saw that I was thinking something, but I, for some mm-hmm. reason those two didn't pop up into my head until you just said that. And I'm like, yes, that's mm-hmm. who it is. And like the way it was portrayed, it was very much like a, a sex party was going on uh, atmosphere. Yeah, but it, it really felt like Serena's appearance was very Maxwell esque, just yep. in the she's dress the, and manner. She's the recruiter, and uh, mm-hmm. instead of getting, I guess, women, it's well, I guess it would have been. In this case, anyway. it was a young man, but I guess it wouldn't mm-hmm. matter the gender. We then get a time lapse of six years. <laughs> now, in my experience, time jumps are are never the greatest story technique to use, and really for this movie, I I I don't think it even has a purpose. It frames the story that things are going on behind the scenes, but it could have easily been four months and nothing would have really impacted the story. Are you ever a fan of time skips? I mean, I think time skips make sense if like the intro, the introduction is a child and then now mm. we see them as an adult. As adults, yeah. But yeah, you're right about this, especially when we learn later on about the, the main villain, mm-hmm. where it's like, if... I mean, I guess we're going to spoil it anyways, but he's um, trying to get the the configuration of the box to a certain configuration because he's got several steps to it. And if it it when we see the box six years later, it's it's in like the first configuration, which means that he hasn't done anything those six years. So he Mm -hmm. hasn't attempted to get it those configurations until the sixth year, I guess. So he's like, he's like, oh. I think I have to do something about this. <laughs> so five years prior, he's just sitting around like, hmm, <laughs> like what to do? <laughs> what am I going to do today? <laughs> we we are introduced to the heroes of our story, Riley and her brother, Matt. They clearly have a, a rocky relationship and tension is always high between them. Riley has a new boyfriend by the name of Trevor. And if I remember right, Matt even flat out says, I don't like him. Uh, a perfect thing to say to your sister who you already have a rocky relationship with can can you think of anything worse he could have said <laughs> maybe something like his technique in the bedroom sucks i heard you guys because <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're, they're like oh you heard us having sex and they'll just stare at them like then like trevor runs away <laughs> for how interesting the movie started boy oh boy did this movie lose steam in the first and second acts in my opinion it 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 was brutal we are introduced to riley a woman with substance abuse issues and in her brother's eyes can never do anything correct we have trevor her enabling boyfriend who also seemingly shows no interest in her life this is a huge issue i have with a lot of horror movies the main characters are just unlikable and unredeemable in how they act and i i don't mean that making her an addict is a bad thing it's just the way these characters interact and talk to other people it's like i have no interest in seeing their story evolve because they're just that that horrible of a of of a being 
you can't root for them. How do you feel about the introduction of the main characters in this Hellraiser reboot? Yeah, it's almost like if they're trying to introduce them all in a negative light. You know, we saw the the intro with the bad guys, and it's like, okay, we don't like them already. And then mm-hmm. here are the good guys, and then, oh, we well, don't these like guys are shitbags, too. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting that you said that Trevor, uh, the boyfriend, seemingly has no interest in her life. But I, I, if I remember correctly, we're introduced to them um, having sex, mm-hmm. and and uh, and she's, like, voicing her, um, her like of what's going on, and then he... He, I guess in the heat of the moment, he says, I love you. And she's like, what? And this turns her off completely. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but then, like, for the rest of the first act, she's just always coming over to his house. And he, yep. like, doesn't seem to care that she's there. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think... I don't know if that's just a misstep in the acting or if it was intentional. Because uh, he loves her, but he he never shows it. <laughs> Yeah, I um maybe maybe it's part of uh what we learn later on about him. Yeah. Riley and Trevor uh seemingly just want to get out of this funk that they're in and better their lives, so they decide Angel to break into a warehouse that Trevor knows uh about in which a billionaire has been storing things in. It escalates extremely quickly and it just feels so out of place. What do you think of their Let's go. Let's go rob the billionaire. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah. When when we first watched it, I'm just, I'm like, this guy. He he, he lives in a seemingly uh, a nice apartment. He's got a pinball machine in there, just <laughs> just for kicks. So I'm assuming he's got a nice job, and he does mention that he has the paintings to deliver. So maybe he mm-hmm. gets paid doing that, and I guess that pays well. I don't know, but. And, <laughs> I just thought it was funny that, you know, instead of telling his girlfriend, hey, let me help you find a job, or maybe I know somebody in my job that can hook you up or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, no, let's let's rob this dude. <laughs> that I <laughs> used going to- through the, for the throat. <laughs> the, the, the duo breaks into a shipping container with a safe in it. Inside the safe is a box, which in turn has another box in it. It's a goddamn nesting doll of evil that they find, Angel. <laughs> they they sledgehammer the safe open, which I, which isn't even a thing I knew was possible. What were your thoughts on on them encountering the puzzle box? Well, first of all, you mentioned the sledgehammer thing. Again, it's like it's funny because Trevor just sits down, and he starts smoking <laughs> a cigarette, and then it's just Riley doing all the work trying to sledgehammer yeah. open the the bo- the the safe. And I'm just like, what's going on here? Why is he not helping? <laughs> they they open the box inside of the box, and then sh- and they, well, Riley's the one that pulls out the mm-hmm. puzzle box, right? And they're just like, what a waste! <laughs> what a waste! <laughs> like, Why the hell did we do this? <laughs> so this is this is where my first major complaint comes in with this scene. Now, you and I both love shitty movies, movies that are just so bad that it's enjoyable to watch and make fun of them as you go. This first act of the movie, though, wasn't fun to make fun of. It just had an air of disappointment to me. That's not my major complaint, though. The complaint is the movie is so damn dark. There were parts that on my screen I could only see vague outlines of a human body and there was no reason. It wasn't a, a technique to induce tension or fear. They were just breaking into a safe with a sledgehammer. <laughs> I should be able to see what's going on and what the characters are doing. It just 
oh, it infuriates me. Do you, did you have the same issue with the the lighting of this film? Yeah, throughout the entire film, when 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 it's dark, it's like really dark, and I'm like, why did they do that? There's mm-hmm. a scene, um, I guess, towards the middle half ending of the middle half towards the ending part where um they're at a, the mansion mm-hmm. and this woman is getting chased down this uh hidden hallway or something yeah. and it's just pitch black yep and i'm like what was the point of this <laughs> i don't mm-hmm. see anything yeah. except for you can't some see light her running coming you can't see the holes what's something. coming after her like it it spoils the scene it's so dark yeah it was it's and this is it's this is uh this film is not the only one that's guilty of this crime. There are plenty of mm-hmm. f- recent films, and by recent I mean like what late two thousands, I guess, to from two thousand ten and on maybe. Like a lot of films are just too dark, and I don't get it. Yeah. Even TV shows as well, like oh, yeah, Game of Thrones had the same issue. Um, Walking Dead has the same issue. It's like why is everything so dark? <laughs> It's a crisis, is what it mm-hmm. is. It is. <laughs> the duo, they they get the famed puzzle box, and just like you said, Angel, they're like, what the hell is this? This all seemed pointless in their mind. Riley meanders back home to her brother, and they have a, a little screaming match. Matt drops the line, you want to play games, Riley? You will lose. <laughs> this, of course, foreshadows the entire cat and mouse game for the remainder of the movie. It was... A bit on the nose dialogue wise for my taste, but what what did you think of their of their interaction here, Angel? Well, at this point, I don't know if I heard that line because <laughs> I, I was kind of my, my my app was kind of being weird or glitching or something. But also, I couldn't really focus on the dialogue because the actor playing a uh, Matt, his he had this weird thing with his voice where it, when he shouts, it's almost like it's he's fighting back, like he's trying to do some. Uh, <laughs> whisper shouting or something yeah he was like inside shouting (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like dude dude, just just scream and it's like like it's like his voice stops him or something so he just sounded weird when he would scream and i just couldn't um focus on anything else (laughs) (laughs) he couldn't focus on you want to play games riley (laughs) so matt kicks Riley out of the apartment and she is all boo-hoo, woe is me, and stomps off. At this point, how are you feeling though about the main characters? Is this is this a a movie where you're like I I care to see what happens to them or it's like I I hope the Cenobites kill them all. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think that's at this point most people watching this movie that have seen the uh, the originals are thinking, when are the Cenobites coming in? Because I'm tired of this shit already. It's it, it was it was also weird because when she when she gets kicked out by her brother, the brother's boyfriend is outside and and he tells her, "Don't go. It's just a bad night." Like what? Yeah, you weren't part of that conversation. <laughs> and, and what I found weird about that was that when this scene started. The boyfriend and the brother were about to have sex or something. Oh, no. They were just laying in bed together. Oh, and yeah. then the doorbell the rings. So the brother gets up and, and, and tells the boyfriend, stay in bed. Stay in that position. Don't leave. Right? Then he gets up. And then that's when they start yelling at Riley. So when Riley leaves, the boyfriend suddenly outside? Like, what happened there? <laughs> He's like, I, 
I gotta go smoke. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he wasn't bad. I don't know when did he get up and leave. They were reading Shelley, <laughs> Lord Byron. <laughs> they read oh, poetry to each other, and then they no, try and to then guess. They, yeah, they guess who the author is. <laughs> Man, I want to do that. There, there is an an internal conflict going on with Riley and her drug abuse. Of course, she first ditches her drugs and then changes her mind and picks them back up so she can go get high in a park. Sure, the the. The struggle of the character is as good as it leads to conflicts between characters and the such, but I don't, the execution felt just off for me. It just, it wasn't working. To me, Hellraiser is about, you know, like self-indulgence and the ramifications of extreme desires, sort of like Frank Cotton and his (laughs) desire with Julia. (laughs) He was all about physical pleasure. There, there could have been better ways to portray Riley as both a, a likable character, but still a flawed one, right? Yeah. In your opinion? Yeah, for sure. Although I think her extreme desire would be to remain sober. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she keeps getting high and keeps giving in to that desire. But I suppose she's self-indulgent in that. But she was... I don't know, I suppose it's a similar aspect to the original film. None of those characters were enjoyable. Larry's a <laughs> shitbag. Julia's a shitbag. Frank's even worse. Uh, Kirsty is just there existing and gets she's, caught up in the shit. She's just there to wrap the whole movie up. <laughs> After the first act, like, the idea of her being an addict seems to vanish. Do you agree? Yeah, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> Now that you mention it. Like, I, mean, I suppose they don't have to like keep beating it over your head as a as a viewer, but it's like it, it's like it never happened. Yeah. And it's and it's never brought up again either. Like the Cenobites don't use it against mm-hmm. her or yeah. anything like that. A perfect strategy to try to get her to do things, but mm. Mm-hmm. you could argue that the entire story is an, an allegory for substance abuse. But I just don't think it, it went that well to, <laughs> in the whole scheme of things. They could have easily picked any other vice and done something with it. But, eh. <laughs> so Riley gets high in the park and it's it's like, oh yeah, I stole this billionaire's puzzle box. <laughs> so she begins to play with it. She nearly instantly solves the thing and the blade triggers but misses her hand. In the distance, we see split-second reveals of the Cenobites she has summoned, and it becomes this did-I-see-this-or-not scenario, since she's so damn high. Eventually, the Cenobites work a deal with Riley that it's not to be her, that she must supply them with another, and she finds herself in a similar situation that Voight did in the beginning of the movie, where she can have someone else sacrificed and reap the benefits of the Cenobites' powers. Somewhat similar to... Kirsty in the original film of uh, trying to get out of going to hell because she didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> she sort of stumbled upon it, same instance now that Riley has. Immediately, we see Riley's world begin to crumble as Matt shows up to help her in her drugged-out state, but he gets cut by the box by mistake. So Riley's ineptitude and failure to be a good person continues to impact Matt, but this time in the ultimate sense because it has now taken his life as the Cenobites come to collect their payment in the form of him. We've touched on this, but is this new aspect of someone else 
taking the punishment interesting to you? Or is it just blah storytelling? It all comes together in the end of the film, but we'll get there for better or worse. But what do you... Is it working this far when Matt gets taken accidentally? I think, I mean, it it does kind of make sense that he gets taken because he's the one that got cut. But Mm -hmm. you mentioned uh, Kirsty in the first film where she solves the puzzle and they come for her. Um, She says to get out of it, she's like, well, I know somebody who escaped your clutches. And they're mm-hmm. like, what? And then she like, you know, tries to exchange. And and at first they're reluctant. They're like, no, if we want, we'll just take both of you, right? Like they don't care about yeah. making exchanges. Mm-hmm. They just want anybody. They just want to torture people. Yeah, and so in this film, it's it's weird to me that they're that for some reason Riley seems like the chosen one almost. That they're like, you know what? It's okay. Just give us somebody else, and and we'll spare you, kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. what? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. And then the casual, the collateral damage begins immediately with her brother being taken, which I, it sets up the rest of the story. But yeah, I, I just don't know the. I don't know. Like you just happen to get pricked by the puzzle box, and you get sent to hell to be punished forever. Like <laughs> what the hell kind of deal is that? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I was like, well, what fuck if, me. What if, what if I'm trying to solve the puzzle and then I accidentally drop it and I'm like on a balcony and it hits somebody's head and <laughs> it gets cut and they're like, oh, no. <laughs> and then it bounces off them and pricks another person and <laughs> they go to hell. Yeah. Riley and Trevor go into detective mode, Angel, and they track down Serena, who at the was from the beginning of the movie, who is nearly at the end of her life. She had a hard six years. And it looks like she's at some sort of assisted living facility. Apparently, they got access to the deed of the warehouse, and it has it was uh, uh, her name on the deed, and then somehow tracked her down to this facility. It was just another uh, story element that was just jarringly out of place. What What do you think about this like moment? Yeah, I I I was confused at first. I was like, who is this lady? Like, and then mm-hmm. once I knew who it was, I'm like, how did they know who she was? And they kind of mentioned it that it was on the deed. And I'm like, when did they look at the deed? Like, I don't remember mm-hmm. them what, looking at this thing. Like, did they glance over it and I missed it? And or they was never it just... even talked about trying to figure it out. Like, yeah. they just showed up at this facility. And said, <laughs> good good thing up. we looked at the deed. <laughs> exactly. It's like, like it's a good thing we did all that research right before coming here. <laughs> when the hell was the register of deeds open during? their scramble to get away from the Cenobites to go research the warehouse owner. How did they even get the deed if they broke into this place? (laughs) It was in the box, too. (laughs) Serena gives us some insight into the man, Roland Voigt, and what he was doing with the box. He obsessed over it and studied it. She claims that Voigt saw angels, but you'd think a devil would know a devil when they see it a clear callback line in my opinion to the angels to some demons to others in the original so the implication here is that serena knows what voight was doing she knows of the cenobites and she tries to warn riley of the danger she's in she even like fakes a cough attack so trevor goes off to get help Mm-hmm. Things escalate, and during a struggle, which I don't understand how the struggle even started, Serena gets stabbed by the puzzle box, because why not? And then the Cenobites come. After an exceedingly long, super slow Michael Myers-like chase scene, the Cenobites, of course, catch Serena. Serena had breathing issues, and one of the Cenobites drops the line, save your breath for screaming. 
which I thought was a fun line. Was this a high or low sequence for you? I think this was mid. Mid. <laughs> it's mid. <laughs> it's mid. I, because I'm, I'm, I've been noticing that the the I think what they've been doing so far, for example, in the beginning of the film where the uh, 75% clone of Robert, of Robert Pattinson. Pattinson. <laughs> yeah. What they did there when he, when he got stabbed by the puzzle was all of the chains and him being uh, grabbed. It was kind of happening in the background while, while Voight mm-hmm. was looking at the box and, and being all, Oh yes, now I get to talk to Leviathan or whatever. So we kept seeing things like in the background, they weren't really showing us what was happening. So I, mm-hmm. in, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, they're just doing this thing where it's like, oh, it's 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 more it's you, your imagination will run wild if you don't see all the action going on. But I feel like they're not doing it that well. Like th- when Matt gets taken, it mm-hmm. did it. He's just in the bathroom. Yeah, he's just in the bathroom, and then suddenly we just see him disappeared. And there's like some and blood some, in the sink. Some, the, some blood, yeah. The least bloody <laughs> taking by a Cenobite in existence. <laughs> yeah. And then this sequence with Serena, I'm like, it's super long. And again, we don't really see anything happen other than when the Cenobite tells her, um, you know, save your breath for whatever. It takes a, like a, a pin out of its own head mm-hmm. or tongue or something and puts it on hers. Yeah, she puts it through her throat. Oh, yeah. That's... A, and we get like a point of view scene from inside her throat. Uh, oh. It was a cool scene. Yeah. The thing is, I'm like, why do we focus so much on her in this particular time? Like, with mm-hmm. Matt, he just got taken. Okay, Serena gets this long sequence. I'm like, why? She's not important to the story at all. I don't yeah, understand. Just, uh, uh, Purpose was a cool kill scene, I guess. <laughs> I wanted to show what the Cenobites can do as yeah. the movie was going. Okay, I guess. But <laughs> why them? Why not on Matt? Why not show mm-hmm. his death? Yeah. So with with that information that Riley gained, she makes her way to Voigt's Berkshire estate and we see his mansion is encased by his own puzzle box design cube sort of thing, making it look like some sort of prison. After searching the house, Riley finds the cache of information that is needed in every horror movie, it seems. How do you feel about this movie trope, Angel? A character finds a bunch of information, in this instance the writings of what appear to be a madman, drawings of Cenobites, little nuggets of info that are on screen for split seconds, a lore dump. What do you think of those? I actually got pretty tired of them. (laughs) I've noticed because it wasn't until recently that I started to notice the pattern where any movie where there's some sort of ancient evil or anything mm-hmm. that's ancient, there's always some book that has information on them. And I'm like, who's writing these things down? And especially especially now in this film where the the writings of a madman is like, why isn't he typing this all up in a computer? <laughs> I know I would be. Putting it on the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, why waste paper? <laughs> Where's he getting all this charcoal to do his drawings? <laughs> yeah, and you would think he'd want to keep all that stuff safe. It'd probably be password protected. There's no way she would have mm-hmm. gotten access to this stuff so easily. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it Im- all of it implies that someone has a higher understanding of what's going on. So it's it cements some legitimacy to the chaos going on in a way 
since it's written down and recorded, I think it's, it's proof that it is real in a sense. She, fi she finally gets a uh, vindication of what's going on. Voigt's notes indicate he wants an audience with God. So there's lore here of Leviathan and plants the seeds. This higher power can grant you things because why else would he want this audience? Eventually, Trevor and two of Riley's friends, the the boyfriend of Matt's is one of them. I, I never learned the girl's name. I don't recall if they even say it. Uh, they appear to help Riley. Riley ends up hugging a flayed version of Matt, which gives us a glimpse of what the Cenobites have been doing to her brother, while at the same time, in my opinion, reinforces story-wise what is at stake here, that she's she's here to save her brother. And this is where Voigt's notes m start to ma actually matter, as he has discovered what the puzzle box can do. Powers inherent, seemingly in its design, he has scrawled on the pages, Liminal, Leviathan, Lament, uh, Lore, Lazarus, and Lodorant. Each of them is a version of the puzzle box that grants the user something. Lazarus catches Riley's eye. It's accompanied by the word resurrection. We now see a purpose in all of this for Riley to resurrect her brother. We next get to my greatest fear of all, Angel, and you referenced it earlier. Roland Voigt was living in the walls of the mansion the entire time. He murders one of the friends, the unnamed one, the female one, and the Xenobites again appear to collect their prize. And at this point, the movie feels like it's becoming a slasher movie. What do you think of the kill scene so far? This one was that dark one where I'm not even... She just got stabbed in the back, and I think she it fell down. She got stabbed in the back by the cube. <laughs> I mean... This one was a pretty lousy way to go. <laughs> I mean, it just needs the blood on the box, right? So that then the Cenobites come. Um, like I don't, I said, did the Cenobites even come to get her? I don't recall if they showed <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They did... Oh, yeah, because they... they they had they, they're like oh we got to get out of here so they take put her in the van oh yep 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 it wasn't in the mansion sequence. exactly yep yeah. and the, that scene was extremely cool it, in my opinion it was like elongated the van um yeah so it was like she was far away from them yeah so so that i think that's one of the interesting things that this film did is that the way the Cenobites take them it doesn't seem to be part of our reality in some sense they, yeah, because like, to us, they just disappear. Yep. And the, the ones in the front seat had no knowledge of it happening. Yeah. But to uh, the person, they, they see a bunch of stuff like the walls start opening up and mm -hmm. portals. Yep. And she was clearly like teleported to a different dimension because she was no longer in the back of the van. Yeah. Yeah. It all, I, it's all coming back now. <laughs> Completely <laughs> forgot that she was the one in the van. Because, as you said, everyone runs away, and then Trevor crashes the van. <laughs> but the, it's sort of becomes like a melding of dimensions almost now, because the greater area around the mansion seems to have changed exceedingly. Uh, they keep going down roads, but the roads never seem to end, and they keep yelling, like, this is the wrong road, this is the wrong road. <laughs> yeah. Because it was pretty easy to get to the mansion, when they first got there and the the roads below them like begin to move and alternate the mansions even depicted uh, like a labyrinth has enveloped the entire estate which is pretty cool we then get a conversation between the priest uh, more commonly known as pinhead and riley and then riley finally gets stabbed by the box and is given the alt ultimatum of choosing two more or riley herself will be claimed 
we then, Angel, come to the most controversial part, in my opinion. <laughs> in the chase here, the Cenobite and fan favorite Chatterer gets to show his quality. He starts biting Trevor and then Riley stabs Chatterer with the box. The priest is then like the referee Mills Lane and Celebrity Deathmatch and is like, I'll allow it. And then the Cenobites <laughs> claim one of their own. What did you think of this? So this goes back to what I said earlier where I feel like the movie is trying so hard to make Riley like the chosen one. Like she's special in some way that the Cenobites stab her, make mm-hmm. somehow the box stabs her and they're like, all right, we're still not going to claim you, but we got your blood now. So, yeah. so you're kind it's of, like either you or two more. What are you going to yeah. do? Like and why? The, <laughs> and then it's like, I don't understand why they want her to succeed. And they even, she stabs the Cinnabon. They're like, yeah, well it counts, I guess, because yeah. we, you know, it's like they're oh, trying like, everything they want uh, to do to get her to succeed. Like she found this loophole in the rules and they're like, okay, we got to kill him now. <laughs> he may I be mean, our best friend, but he's dead. And it's weird to me because I'm like, to I thought I, I was of the understanding that the Cenobites were kind of like immoral, but I guess not. If they could just be, I mean, they all apart. come back at least <laughs> in the originals. <laughs> the ch- chatterer just comes back anyway. Like, ah. mm-hmm. or there's a new chatterer. <laughs> it's like a, a name being passed down, a lineage. I I don't know. It's it was a neat scene, but then you think about it, it's like, well, why why can then why can they be taken? So is he get sent back to like the hell dimension to be tortured more? Like he's 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 he's, he's transcended torture already. Right. <laughs> it doesn't make sense when you think about it. And then and then it's like and then and because of. What you uh, what what happens, and this is what they try to do in the movie. But it's like now nah, you could just stab any Cenobite with this thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like and, the and ultimate f- power. And you keep doing it until you get to the configuration that you what want. If, what if you stab the Earth? <laughs> <laughs> what if you start stabbing animals? Like, does it matter? Why hasn't anyone used animals before? <laughs> <laughs> just go to the pet store and just start stabbing <laughs> things with the puzzle box. I mean, oh. We then find that the cage Voigt built around the house keeps the Cenobites away. Except in the beginning of the movie, it didn't do that. <laughs> so I don't I don't know. But then we get the big reveal angel. Trevor was in on it all along. Like a wolf in sheep's clothing. He knew exactly what, was, what he was doing. Getting the box was all an elaborate ruse, apparently, by Voigt to get more people killed. But does this plan make sense, Angel? As it has been shown, you just have to stab people with the box to have them claimed. You mark them. Why not tie the box to a long pole and stab people from a distance and then run away? Like, why this elaborate scheme to get this girl involved and get them back to the mansion? Yeah, and the, the, the thing was that she was supposed to get stabbed herself to be claimed. Why couldn't Trevor just get the box and stab her then mm-hmm. i <laughs> like, guess the issue is he fell in love with her well oh. the, right but when he did the let's rob the the place thing that was part of the whole scheme the whole, so yep. was he in love with her then or was it afterwards that he was like yeah because oh. he still went through with it why didn't he just find somebody else <laughs> I just i don't there's so many holes and i just the one thing i do um 
am sad about is that the the movie did not have a line where Trevor goes, at first it was only meant as a, a job, but then I t- did really lo- fall in love with you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. The classic like rom-com situation there. <laughs> so it is revealed that Voight did not go unharmed with his original solving of the box. Uh, he had chosen the liminal configuration, which is, interestingly enough, the same one that Frank Cotton chose in the original movie. So instead of getting his audience with the Leviathan, Voight just got this metal contraption in his chest. It constantly pains him, and when the pain is just about to subside, it pains him again. So it just prolongs over and over and over again. Do you feel bad for Voight at all? No, I don't. It- <laughs> He he plays the villain so well that he, there's no sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. Like, even though he's dealing with the pain, it's like, well, I mean, you asked for this, so bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a, a, a... The part of this thing that caught my eye as part of, like, a costume design. So Voight has this huge metal contraption in his chest and back. It's gargantuan. He is wearing a suit with a button-up shirt, a white shirt... Has he been wearing that suit for six years? Because it was still pretty white. (laughs) Or is he replacing his suits and ripping the shirts around his metal contraption each time he puts on a damn suit? I mean, can he even do anything when he's in constant pain? I know. (laughs) I don't even know how you can't dress yourself with that thing on your body. (laughs) But the, the white shirt was still like pristine, like it was newly pressed. My my one uh issue with with uh this thing um contraption and void is that like i mentioned earlier did he wait six years and finally decide oh maybe i should get the box and get new configuration so i can get this thing out of me because mm-hmm. it, the the box was in its original configuration so it, yeah. it hadn't been touched for five years or so yeah. I, I suppose the implication is it took him that long to research how to do it but he seemed like he knew what he was doing the first time around. Right. He already knew all that stuff, I think. <laughs> Riley and the rest of the Scooby gang that is still alive decide to lure the Cenobites one at a time so they can just stab another one to claim it. But their plan goes to hell when the one that comes in runs like a maniac angel. It's like <laughs> Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the nose. Well, everyone has a plan until the Cenobite you lure into a mansion to kill. Turns out he's an Olympic-level sprinter and wants to eat you. It it they Their plan fell apart instantly. And then they had to get another one after that. <laughs> they yep. wanted to continue. The last few exchanges of dialogue confused me a, a, a bit. Uh, but the, fun, the movie finally resolves as the priest seemingly... Uh, now sees something in Voight that is worthwhile, some some something that's redeemable or of uh, uh, value. So Voight is given another chance to choose, as rather than l- the liminal aspect of pleasure, the priest sees that Voight actually sought power and is granted the gift of the Leviathan configuration. And then Voight gets sucked out of the mansion by a giant chain, uh, after this big scene of Leviathan coming down above the mansion. At the same time, Riley then claims her last sacrifice and stabs Trevor for being a shitbag this whole time. Riley then chooses the Lament configuration, and all the Cenobites are like, 
WTF, you stupid idiot, what a waste. <laughs> Rather than be consumed by her desires, lament allows you to remain alive in your current state, but you have to face the burden of your soul. You have to carry that burden with all of the atrocities that you caused to get here. So she has to live with what she did to her brother and her friends and everybody else. Clearly, uh, Riley saw the monkey paw-like qualities of the box where they don't really grant what you want. It's more of a, a genie wish that goes horribly wrong. What do you think would have happened to Matt had Riley chosen the Lazarus configuration? It's funny because it's that's uh, actually what happens in the story of the monkey's paw. Um, I forget what happens, but eventually the the, the, the there's a couple... And the son dies in an accident or something. And I think mm-hmm. they use the, the monkey's paw to wish him back. And then they hear a knock at the door. Yep. And like the middle of the night or something. And they keep hearing this knock. Black eyed child. <laughs> <laughs> and they're freaking out. And I think they finally wish it away. Yep. And that's the last wish that they had or something. Yep. I remember that now. Yeah. Um, uh, implying it's very um, undead upon the other side of that door. Yeah. Like very pet cemetery esque. <laughs> yeah. Very and it's, zombie and it's, like. Yeah. And it's resurrection. Uh, I think it would be like a scenario of I'm sure he is resurrected and then punished and resurrected and punished over and over and over infinitely. I think that's how it would go. <laughs> that's like the fifth Hellraiser. <laughs> is it? I think it, was, I think it was the fifth one. It's, 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 it, yeah, it was one of them that's just this guy's like constantly reliving some nightmare and it's like he's in hell i don't know it's it was you you said it the sequels were bad (laughs) nearly unwatchable (laughs) when we then get to the final scene of voight in a different plane of existence his skin the color of the cenobites upon a cross-like device as his body is pierced and mutilated and he is seemingly made into the newest cenobite what was your impression of that final scene I, I mean, I don't know. I have mixed feelings. I feel like everyone's like just uh, getting happy endings in, in a twisted way. You know? Everyone got what they wanted. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess not. Not what they it, it thought, right? Mm-hmm. Not what they expected. But Voight gets to live on and, and do this stuff to others, I guess. Mm-hmm. Until somebody else with a box stabs him. <laughs> yep. Cenobite's got to kill a shit ton of people. Riley gets to live. Uh, mm-hmm. She didn't get to save Matt, but... She didn't seem too upset. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he didn't like her anyways. <laughs> or her boyfriend or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she got her revenge on Trevor. Yep. And there we have it, Angel. That's a rundown of the movie. Overall, what were your highest highs and lowest lows? Well, we, we t- t- speaking about uh, Trevor, how did how did she get revenge on Trevor? Because the her brother's boyfriend was there with them who mm-hmm. was about to get killed because he had gotten stabbed by the cube and he had coils wrapped around his arms and stuff yep. and once again riley the, the chosen one says no i want to switch and then she stabs uh, trevor and they're like all right we'll, we'll get him instead <laughs> i'll trade you sure so, okay <laughs> so i'm like this this whole trading business I, the more they did it the more i'm like no nah, i don't like it i don't think the exchanging thing i'm like it doesn't it doesn't work on the plus side, the high was Trevor's death, which was his, <laughs> his arm skin getting ripped off. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They did. They had some pretty gory uh, kills. 
Yeah, the 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 gore that they did show was pretty gory, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah, I think by far the highest high was the uh, character design of the Cenobites. The practical effects and the makeup were amazing in this yeah. movie. Uh, acting was fine. Uh, the The leads were all good in what they were doing, but I I don't know. Some of the dialogue was wonky. I mean, that's that, yeah. that's classic Hellraiser for you, though. The dialogue if in the original if is... that's what you're looking for, then, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Dialogue in the original is just shambles. <laughs> but like, I think after I watched it recently, before, or before this one, I thought, like, has... has Clive Barker not had a conversation with somebody like he's never <laughs> spoken with anybody doesn't know how to write dialogue definitely definitely the design choices I did like the the mansion design too that like cube design never yeah. really explained I guess the purpose was to trap the, the Cenobites there for some reason yeah. like uh Voight was playing 4d chess and was 18 <laughs> steps ahead somehow and like planned them to perfectly be locked into these <laughs> gates as they surrounded him to then bargain with them to allow him access to the leviathan was his grand plan i guess and they were uh, like okay sure yeah, like, sure <laughs> that works for us why don't you just ask <laughs> uh one of the lowest lows is definitely how dark the film was mm-hmm. yeah lowest low for me the first hour of the movie for <laughs> First hour compared to the second hour felt like two different films, 100% to me. Yeah. It's like they were like, oh, shit, we're making a movie. <laughs> and then they <laughs> started trying. The first first hour was just like, oh, I've been waiting for this movie for a while, and this is what we got. <laughs> but luckily, the, the second hour to me picked it up. So compared to the original, there were some, some big changes. We discussed a few of them as we were going. Uh, Riley is, of course, a substitute for Kirsty, and Voight um, took the place of Frank Cotton's role. However, this was a large departure, in my opinion, of the original, which uh, I liked. I liked those changes that they made because Larry and Julia in the first movie are—they're all insufferable. Frank is insufferable. <laughs> all uh, none of the characters in the original movie are uh, likable at all. I never enjoy reboots that are similar to the original because then it's like, well, why make the movie again? You're just making the same movie with updated technology. I don't see the point in that. So I did like the changes that they they made. At least had differences that were worthwhile. There were some aspects that were uh, similar too, though. For instance, Julia's character had to continually kill people for Frank in the original so he could get more blood to add to his body to then like take the form of Larry. That I don't understand why that happened in, in the original. <laughs> But uh, Julia's... Because it was Larry's blood that started it all. I guess. Well, I guess maybe... But then he has Larry's voice. Like, why does he lose his Frank voice and gets Larry's voice? He just takes on the mannerisms and acts creepy. <laughs> I don't know. In, in the new one, the the one doing the killing is the one who like wants the rewards. Like, Frank and Voight both... What they thought would happen wasn't exactly what they were expecting. So it, it was it's very much of a, a genie wish scenario where you think something's going to happen and it, it wildly turns out differently. The Cenobites certainly had much more agency in this version, I think. In the original, Pinhead was depicted as this all-knowing being that had transcended human existence, but then seemingly outwitted by an early 20s-something girl that worked at a pet store. And... 
is banished in the most anticlimactic fashion ever. The original felt like Clive went, oh, oh, this movie needs to end and I have three minutes left to do it. Uh, I have three minutes left to film. <laughs> Was there anything that jumped out at you about the original compared to the new one? Well, there's there's no homeless person turning into a dragon in the new one. Yeah, the engineer or whatever the hell he's supposed to be like. He's just out there, you know, and the, I, I don't understand. He's like following Kirsty, who has no knowledge of the of the puzzle box at that person at that point in the story. Mm-hmm. And he's just like following her. Why? Because <laughs> that would mean that he knows Frank is coming back, but the Cenobites don't know. So why does the guy, the homeless guy that turns into a dragon know? <laughs> yeah, there's. A lot of stuff about that original film was like, what was that all about? Like, was there something intended? I don't know. And then maybe, maybe you had to have read the novella. I don't know. Then Clive got drunk and had to finish the <laughs> the CGI at the end of the movie with some guy from Europe. <laughs> Watching this newer, the newer film uh, after seeing Voight with that contraption in him. <laughs> I started to think, like, when the Cenobites do these things to people, are the people now immortal? Like, how is his heart working with all that stuff? Like, because wh- it was gone. Because when it gets when it falls out and he starts puking up nuts and bolts, uh, it just like heals. Yeah. So there was nothing there. Right. So it's like, what what happens there? Like, are they just gonna live forever this way? Because that'd be funny. Well, that's like weird too because he's not quite being tortured like the others. Like, like Frank in the original yeah. gets like sucked into hell, and then they like flay him, and his face is on a table. Yep. Voight just lives his life with a big metal box in his chest, apparently in his in his mansion. <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like they tried to make the Cenobites in this one like more like oh they'll grant your wishes but it's like the wish is always something weird but the thing is is like a big metal thing in you like what is that mm-hmm. <laughs> what yeah, even then, is that then he's like oh shit i chose the wrong formation here <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and then it's like you know it's it's weird because it doesn't really make sense that why even grant them anything then like if you're just gonna do that to him like, what's the point? And why is, again, Riley's the chosen one. Oh, you chose Lament. That means we don't do nothing to you. Like, what? <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, you just live with the burden of having done this. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm okay with that, I suppose. <laughs> I'm not flayed apart in some other dimension for eternity. Like, yeah, I yeah. think, like, the, the original Cenobites, that's, that's, that, that was their purpose, that they just sought out souls to do this stuff to them Mm -hmm. but now here it's like oh well if you chose the man oh loophole (laughs) (laughs) yeah it doesn't uh, yeah now that you mention that it's like well what's the what's the what's the point of doing it so i suppose voight was so hell-bent on his, his desire of pleasure as they explain it he wasn't actually there for pleasure he actually wanted the power he receives over pleasing people like it was more of a, like a power situation that he received from uh, that act more so than the the act of pleasure so he was actually looking for the leviathan 
configuration, not the the liminal one. So yeah. he gets like a redo and then just becomes a new Xenobite, I guess, which I guess they like. I don't know. Yeah. And then what is the Leviathan? Why is it that this giant ship comes yeah, down this to eldritch the, geometrical shape <laughs> comes down to the, to this mansion and nobody else on earth is noticing this presumably it's happened numerous times cuz that's how the Sino bites are presumably made when they yeah. choose leviathan mode <laughs> i'm wondering if this is like a setup for sequels where you know everything gets explained and then nothing gets explained I mean, there's part, there's good parts to, uh, or there's good purposes to leave certain things of the story a mystery. Uh, yeah. I, wh- why don't next we go into the powers of the Cenobites to get a better look at exactly what they bring to the table? Mm-hmm. So the the Cenobites are explorers of experience. They call themselves. They have seemingly transcended human existence and are on a whole other level. They become both the manifestation and master of their own desires. They have the ability to transport and find people seemingly anywhere. They are each uniquely gifted with some sort of obscure power, like Chatterer and his bitey teeth. (laughs) They are masters of torture. I task you, Angel. You have been gifted the Leviathan configuration. You are now a Cenobite. What is your name and what are your powers? I've given this a lot of thought. My name is Flappy. Oh, Jesus. You're going to have really flappy skin. Flappy skin everywhere. Well, you're close. Flappy. You know, I got to I gotta be like a, what is it, like a weird masochistic. Anyway, so I'm like configuration where my arms are crossed, uh, crossed against my chest and they're mm-hmm. bound together by flesh. So yeah. I can't move them. Your flesh has walk. melded. <laughs> yeah. And my bottom lip is stretched out over to my head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I have no eyelids. They've been ripped off. Well, what's and the... Well, wouldn't the, your lip cover them anyways? Well, just... Well, <laughs> here's the thing. So what happens is that when I'm going to attack... My my giant you rip lip. the f- mouth flap down. <laughs> my lip flap comes down, and my face is just a bunch of flaps. <laughs> what are they flaps of? Just skin, skin? flaps, <laughs> and, they, and they have a mind of their own. They like little tendrils that come out and yep. choke people. Yep, flappy, <laughs> flappy. How do you get the head reset? Do you just I pull swing. it back up. Yeah, just. <laughs> <laughs> Just flip your hair back. <laughs> just flip my hair back, yeah. <laughs> my other one was just was just going to be where my face comes off and the eyes are stuck on the face. <laughs> Flappy. Flappy's coming for you. But it's going to be too dark, so we won't be able to see you unflap your face folds. Nope. <laughs> just be like, oh, man, this guy's face is really flappy. And you're like, damn it, they missed the reveal. <laughs> In the original movie, Kirsty outwitted Pinhead by slowly... And awkwardly solving the puzzle box as he just stood there and yelled, don't do that. (laughs) And then he was banished. (laughs) In the new version, (laughs) Riley stabs one of the Cenobites uh, and and another one got trapped in a door and was rendered (laughs) useless for half the the final act and then seemingly disappeared. We shall now see how your Cenobite version of yourself, Flappy, handles these three situations. (laughs) 
God. Situation one. Pauly Shore has solved the puzzle box, and you have been summoned. In his weasel talk, he goes and says, Hey, I was wheezing on this boxer. What do you do? What does Flappy do? What is... Flappy starts wheezing along with him. <laughs> you join in on the wheezing. He does a little, you do the fingers thing, but you can't because your I hands can't. I are. I'll do my flaps. <laughs> he, he does the weasel handshake to your, <laughs> to your mouth flappy noises. And then as he as you do that, he sucks you in and he, he stabs you with the box. Oh no. Flappy's dead. <laughs> Situation two an 18 year old white kid solves the puzzle box. And you are summoned. You find that he is a super fan of anime and Japanese culture. He smirks and says, I didn't expect seeing you here today, my lord. You appear to be a worthy adversary. What do you do? I I unfurl my flaps and send my tendrils at him. (laughs) He's already unsheathed his katana. (laughs) As you unflap... Your your middle your torso slowly slides off as he cut you in half and he's just standing there and shink puts his katana back in the sheath. Flappy dies again. You are your last chance here to win. You are summoned as some innocent life has just been marked for the taking as someone is trying to get to the final stage of the puzzle box to have their wish granted. That innocent life is the cryptid known as the squonk. His eyes are teary, and his wailing and his wailing and sadness. You see the squonk in front of you, Flappy. What do you do? I carry him in my flap, <laughs> and the flap is large enough that it acts like a bag. So he's essentially in a bag now. <laughs> Unfortunately, just by seeing him, he dissolves into water in your flap, and. You have to return back to your to Leviathan and report you lost another one. <laughs> Zero for three for Flappy. Tough break. Best name. <laughs> there was Flappy. I think, Flappy versus Squonk. <laughs> it's like the new Jason versus Freddy. Um I think that like some of the more bogus ones, the Xenobites, I think there's one called Piston Head. Um, there's one that has CDs in his head. Oh um, there's, they made some, some, some bizarre choices <laughs> overall with this new Hellraiser movie. What do you rate it? And we're, we're going back to school here for a moment with this one and giving it a report card score, an A plus to an F. Where do you fall for the original movie? I would have given it a C, you know, because the original movie to see yeah yep and even though it was kind of cheesy and camp it was something different hella gory yeah that too great effects so with the new film in comparison i'd give it a b minus the hellraiser 2022 a b minus yep what what were the biggest things that brought it to a b minus Definitely the darkness. A lot of the changes to the Cenobites were probably for the worse. Mm. 
like the whole swapping thing and the, I just can't get over the fact that everyone treated like Riley was the special one. Like why? I don't get it. I still don't get it. Uh, it seemed like I don't know if like if they were the word isn't manipulated. Like they weren't easily manipulated, but they were easily persuaded to say like, okay, we'll just take this one instead. <laughs> yeah. Like <clears throat> in the original, Kirsty works uh, says to Pinhead, "I I know Frank Cotton has escaped you." I'll trade. I'll trade myself for Frank, and he's like, "Well, I don't care." But then th- he then he says, "Well, maybe we'll trade you uh, <laughs> for Frank." And then they get there and they get Frank, um, and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna get you anyways. We didn't accept your offer." <laughs> like, yep. They made the agency to not do that. These ones were just making deals all over the place. It was like, it's like Howie Mandel was there with the <laughs> the briefcases making and, deals and honoring those deals. <laughs> can't go back on our word we dealed <laughs> i would fall on it i think a i would grade it a the original uh, b minus i like the original there's some major flaws in it the last time I, i've probably seen it like four or five times the most recent time i watched it was the first time i like paid attention to the story and i was like wait a minute <laughs> i hate this movie now <laughs> Um, but this one, the new one, I would give it a, oh, I'm going to give it a C minus the, the first, the first hour just completely lost me, uh, did not enjoy it at all. But the second part of the movie clearly had the better structure plot wise, um, better stuff going on, but that first hour was too much of a hurdle for me to enjoy the whole thing on a scale of, uh, one through four. How easy is it to find the the priest cryptid? <laughs> the detectability? That's right. <laughs> How easy to find it? I guess you just stab somebody. <laughs> as, as long as you got the as long as you have the puzzle box, right? Mm-hmm. You just start stabbing and get all of them to show up. I would give it a zero. <laughs> they announce themselves and then they throw <laughs> chains into your they body. <laughs> All right, everyone from now on, you're going to have to start including Cenobites as cryptids in your books. Uh, they're just Mothmen. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, they're all Mothmen. Creatures. <laughs> I think, yes, uh, the unknown cryptids just default to Mothmen. Mm-hmm. Or they're owls. Finish that puzzle box. <laughs> because it's going to open a portal to Twitter.com. And you can find the Cenobites, known as Mad and Angel... And Flappy. (laughs) And Flappy. At Cracking Curios. And you can tweet at us. Make sure to include a hashtag Flappy or Cracked Cryptids or both, really. Matt, you didn't give us any Cenobite design of your own. Maybe uh, that'll be an exercise for later. Curiosities, feel free to give us your own Cenobite designs and tweet them at us. Or you can message us on Instagram. Like, what would Jonathan Frakes be as a Cenobite? <laughs> oh, my God. Our Instagram is at Cracking Cryptids. Or if you want to go the old-fashioned route, feel like you're living in the 80s, send us an email, Cracking Cryptids and Curios. Or if you're in a horror movie and you are the madman, you can write a manifesto of all the knowledge <laughs> you've gained and mail it to us. <laughs> yeah, lore dump. <laughs> Uh, We're going to have to get a P.O. box for that one. (laughs) And if you're listening to us, it's probably because 
you have subscribed to us, which is great. But those of you who have not subscribed to us probably heard about us from some friend. So just know that we are available on any podcast platform that your heart desires. You will see such sights. Just don't desire it too much. You're going <laughs> to get sucked in. And as always, I love you. Good night. Look at me. This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production.